welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Thursday deep dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We're here with Ian Gray, as always. Ian, guys, it's Masters Week. I guess we're excited about that. That's kind of what I've been thinking about for the intro. So, Ian, yeah, any, uh, you rooting for anyone? I know Jordan Spieth is kind of the number one guy, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in seeing if Jordan Spieth can keep it going here. Um, got that win recently, and uh, I always like him playing. I, f- I feel bad for him when he's, he's had such a bad couple of years, but I'd like to see him get back on top. Or if yeah. Brooks Kepka, Kepka came in and had something good too. But I know the one guarantee I will make is I know that by the end of the Masters, I'll be dying to get back on the golf course. And then we'll all be playing exactly like them. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like them. But uh, we're talking uh, a company today, as always, is GoPro, a company that people have forgotten about. Uh, it's been a terrible IPO, but they're trying to do a bit of a turnaround here. So I'll let Ryan introduce uh, what the company is. because I want something. Sorry? Sales pitch. Sales. Oh, oh, right, right. We got to talk about that first. Uh, I think it's your turn, Ryan. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know if, I mean, we've talked about it here twice now, but the recs are out and we've looked at a few recent ones. To what? To what is it? Seven Investing. Uh, I guess if you're not familiar, we, uh, you can use our code CCM. You get $10 off. It's only $7 for the first month. To our recurring listeners, I know you hear us say this every week, but these recent batch of recs have been pretty dang good. And so uh, wide ranging, wide ranging, and a few that we particularly particularly like here. So go ahead and use that code CCM. But without further ado, GoPro. So for anyone that's not familiar, I think most people know what GoPro is, even if you've never had one. It's kind of at one point it was like sort of the pioneer in active cameras. Like people were like, oh, you know, how'd you get that vlog? It's like a GoPro. It wasn't really a verb, but you could, you know, it was kind of along the lines. Um, so they basically, that's sort of their bread and butter is the active lifestyle cameras. And they have the more traditional sort of wearables. Um, so let's say you're vlogging or you're going on a hike or I don't know, something active, you can use that that's probably the kind of camera you would use, but then they also have a 360 degree camera, um, which I guess, and it's waterproof. I don't, I'm trying to think of applicable stuff for that. Sometimes it's diving, scuba diving, scuba diving. Okay. That's, that's one. And then uh, kayaking. Sorry. I can think of one. (laughs) Okay. And then they have subscriptions. They have a mobile app as well. They sell some adjacent products like uh, accessories. So think like camera accessories, like mounts, um, and you can bundle that with the cameras. And then there's also lifestyle gear. You may have seen someone wear a shirt that says GoPro, that mm. kind of stuff, that sort of apparel. Uh, and then the manufacturing is largely outsourced to China. So that's sort of the supply chain part. Um, but the here's what the subscription includes. If you're wondering, like, you know, what do you get with the subscription? They said, as a subscriber, if you damage your GoPro, we'll exchange it, no questions asked. As a subscriber, you can automatically up 
upload your footage to the cloud from your camera, available on all cameras, Hero 5 and newer, or through your mobile device or computer for easy access on any device. Access to all of GoPro Quick to edit and share your footage on the go. You'll also get up to 50% off accessories at GoPro.com. So they've sort of bundled a whole bunch of their features there into one, and that's sort of their, uh, they label it as their subscription, but it's really the diehard GoPro fans are probably subscribing to this. Um, and right now it's probably valuable enough and cheap enough for anyone that's buying like a new camera to do as well. Um, but the company has had a rough go of it, as Brett said, since coming public, they're sort of pivoting now towards this instead of going for everyone, focus on the niche and try to monetize that base a little better. They're going a little more DTC now instead of traditional retail distribution places. So, And that's GoPro.com. Yeah. And historically they've had, they've had a lot of their sales come through Target, Best Buy, Walmart, that kind of thing. But now a lot of it is starting to come from GoPro.com. And then I, I don't know why I like to have this here, but they have 758 employees and they're headquartered in San Mateo, California. I feel like sometimes that helps people remember that it's yeah, just a business, the, not a stock. Yeah, just the size of the company. And then if anyone's interested, the stock peaked, I believe it's high in 2014, it was 98 bucks. And it's almost went below $2 a share. So really- returns. Yeah, right out of the gate, it went up like 100%. But after that, just, man, that was tough. Yeah, it's been it's been down for a while. I mean, it got into a pretty crowded market. I'll get into the history, though. GoPro was founded by Nick Woodman in 2002 after a surfing trip to Australia where he couldn't capture the moment because it required mm-hmm. another photographer. I'm, I'm going to sure, be honest. I'm sure this went exactly like he said. If I were to guess how GoPro started, that's exactly what I would have guessed. Or the story that they tell. Uh, and then people say that all these stories are kind of embellished, right? So. Probably. But the uh, Woodman and his wife uh, used to sell shell jewelry mm. and belts out of a Volkswagen van in California to save up enough money to build the GoPro. Nice. Um, so if you're picturing what – I bet you can picture exactly what Woodman looks like. Um, Surfer dude kind of? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but it took him two years to develop the first camera and he showed it off at trade shows and stuff like that. And it was originally designed to attach to a wrist. Um, and they had pretty significant market share by 2012. They kind of pioneered the space of like active cameras, uh, sort of on the go footage, stuff like that. Um, and that's probably why they have still so much brand recognition. I mean, even people that never use it know about them. Um, the company raised $430 million in its 2014 IPO. Um, it's down 60% now from its IPO, but the business, um, it, for the last year, the stock it's up 400%, has, yeah. yeah, the stock's done really well. Uh, but that's basically the history of it. Uh, do you want to talk about the industry competition and stuff like that? Yeah. And I guess before again, maybe I'll ask you a quick question. What are you guys, when you think of GoPro, what do you think? Cause I, my thoughts are, all right, I never use one of these things, but I get, that people would use them i mean what happened in 2014 where this thing just came out at such a high valuation i don't know what was the hype well it was sort of i mean it was like the heart it was cool hardware at the time um and i don't we've bought gopro cameras we used to do a little more complex youtube stuff we used to have nicer videos um and it's just sort of the brand i don't know like high uh, quality high quality, but not too expensive, decent camera. 
Okay. And that's kind of the one you think of to go to, but if you're, it's not like production level. And I think the other part is phone camera quality has gotten good enough now that unless you really, really need a camera, you can use that as a supplement or a substitute. Yeah. All right. Ian, what, what, what about you? Yeah. I think just to answer your question about why it was so hot coming out in 2014, I think part of it was it, it does the thing that all the hot brands do. And it says it was a lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. right? That everyone just uses GoPros. And, um, I know like when I was a kid, um, everybody got a GoPro. It's like, Oh, wow, that's so cool. And you're just like making little videos with your friends who have GoPros or something, or, you know, skateboarding down the hill or whatever it is like stupid stuff. But it just was like, it was trendy. Everybody wanted them. It was the thing that was like, uh, coming out. And I think, I think, and we'll get into this more later, but I think part of it too, was their huge social um, followings and look at all these cool videos that people make. And everyone looks at the videos that go like GoPro has like the best marketing material, both for investors and for consumers that's made by its own product. All right. Right. Like Apple, in some ways, I think Apple's kind of stolen it from GoPro about all the shot on iPhone uh, commercials, but like GoPro really kind of, I would think kind of uh, revolutionized and pioneered that where look at all these amazing videos that all these people have done doing these amazing things around the world using our camera. And even though they're not like, you know, they're not responsible for those people doing all those amazing things that made it possible to see and share those moments, which just kind of creates a lot of viral marketing for them. I think it all, it also feels like vlogging, like the YouTube kind of being young at the time was very fun for like, I mean, my age demographic, everyone wanted one because they all thought they were going to be YouTube stars at the time. But yeah, I guess that's a part of it too. But now you can just do it. The the phones, basically Apple and Samsung, like the camera's just as good. So that, that was probably the huge one there. But I guess- Right, we'll, and I would just add one more thing. I think um, I think there was a little bit of a, an assumption that GoPros were going to be used for everything. And even, and I'll dive into this when we get into management, but like the, the CEO kind of thought, okay, we're going to broaden our market a lot here and like all the vlogging and all that type of stuff. And then I think it get, gets into it a little bit and they realize, oh, everyone's, you know, the phone cameras get better and better and everyone realizes, oh, we're going to use our phone cameras for most things, but then GoPro still has this kind of niche that they're trying to return to with more of the active active camera uh, market. All right, right. Well, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll talk about them in the second half too, but I'll hit industry and landscape quickly. Competitors include and this is for cameras, would be someone like Nikon, Canon, Sony, Garmin, stuff like that. A lot of competitors there. GoPro's probably the number one in their niche. Um, and a lot of those companies, some of them have other subsidiaries, but that camera division, it's a bit of a commodity nowadays. And the real competitors are Apple, Samsung, Google, LG, whoever the other ones are for smartphones. Um, that was the big downfall over the last five years. Worldwide, the action camera market is pretty small at only $7.5 billion estimated globally. I think that was in 2019, 2020 numbers were probably a little lower just because of the pandemic. Um, and then the software market they're going after is kind of hard to quantify. I mean, I don't know, they're trying to, it's something that's not really been built before because, well, there's been obviously video editing tools and stuff like that, but that's a way larger market than GoPro itself is going after, at least currently. Maybe they can evolve to that over time. Either way, um, I think the market and the, the addressable market, although we joke about how that really doesn't matter, I think it matters more than usual here, at least with GoPro. Yeah. All right, Ian, yeah, management? Yep, so 
taken or we've already talked about him, but Nick Woodman is still the CEO. He was the founder. Um, as we've mentioned, just crazy volatility since uh, since they've gone public. Uh, you know, up as high as you know ninety bucks a share, under three dollars a share. It's now at about twelve dollars a share. So crazy run. Um, it, in some ways, it's a little impressive in my mind that he's still yeah. uh, the CEO and that he's stuck around and is kind of part of this turnaround effort too. Like oftentimes, it seems like something like that happens and then you get in a new CEO who does the turnaround. And whether that's because other investors force the CEO out or it's because the CEO just is, he's made his money and doesn't care anymore and moves on. Um, but I just, I found that to be a little bit interesting that he's still around even, even despite all that. As far as ownership, um, he owns about 19% of the shares outstanding. So very substantial um, and a big reason probably why he's still around. Uh, Vanguard and BlackRock are also major holders. They own 7% and 5% respectively. So some pretty solid institutional ownership there. But overall, there's only about 48% institutional ownership. So if this thing were, if this turnaround were to be successful, I'd expect that number to get get up and um, they'll probably get some more institu- institutional ownership coming in and driving up the price a little bit. And then there's about 8% short interest. And I think historically, this has been a stock that uh, has had higher short interest than, than that. Um, but with the run-up this year, I assume that the run-up this year was uh, partially uh, a, a bit of a short squeeze as well. But um, currently, there's there's not an alarming amount of shorting in this stock. Yeah, it seems like one of the it could could have been like in that GameStop group. You it, know, I I do I do think I read something about it getting short squeezed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was a favorite short name for years, and they did quite well. But maybe it wasn't 140 percent. So. Uh, or whatever. All right, I'll get into valuation right now. Market cap's about 1.9 billion. I think as we're reporting, it was down today, so it's a little bit less now. Either way, it's a little less than two billion dollars. Tickers GPRO enterprise value is similar. They do have some convertibles that I'm sure that Ian will talk about. Uh, but price to sales is 2.1. Price to gross profit is six. And then price to operating cash flow and price to free cash flow looked really, really good in 2020. But that was a bit artificial, huge bump from a, what was it? They had, I mean, all of the working capital numbers worked in their favor for operating cash flow. Accounts receivable went down, inventory went down, and accounts payable, or maybe that also went down. But either accounts receivable, that was a huge benefit for them. It's not really going to be sustainable. Yeah, part of that was intentional, the inventory drawdown. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they've really, really talked about leaning up because it's a company that you don't want excessive inventory on the balance sheet because it's going to get written down so uh but this was probably the biggest swing in working capital that they've ever had and that really contributed to the cash flow yeah i think they generated 200 million in operating cash flow i mean that was most of it i would not expect that to be back i think they're supposed to guide they're guiding for like 150 million in 2021 uh so that would put them a priced operating cash flow of like 12.7 so pretty cheap if they execute in 2021, um, no dividend, 14 million options outstanding out of 151 million shares currently. So a little bit of share dilution is coming. If the stock price stays in this range and they got their convertible notes too, but I'll kick it over to Ryan. What about earnings? Yeah, so they had 892 million in revenue in 2020. That was down 25% year over year. COVID hurt them pretty bad initially. Uh, it, sounds like, uh, but their gross margin was about 35% for the year. 
The gap net loss was 67 million, but they had operating cash. They were operating cash flow positive. And I've heard people twice now cite that $200 million. Oh, reference. sorry. That was the second half of the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They had 94 million in operating cash flow for the full year. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but a lot of that did come from the positive change in working capital. They ended the year with 761,000 GoPro subscribers, up 145% year over year. That's something they've really, really tried to pivot to. Um, and they talk a lot about it on the earnings calls and they've said churn is pretty low. I didn't have a figure for it, um, but hopefully it's low. I mean, they touted the low churn on the conference call and I can't imagine that the analysts would have, uh, it sounded like they were on board thinking it was low. So maybe I just haven't seen the yeah. figure. And the analysts typically have some of those third party sources to this so they can confirm that. Yeah. Uh, but all in all, it was uh, a generally pretty good year. They've been just a leaner operation all around. They're operating a lot more efficiently. Um, and so that's contributed to the profitability uh, and obviously the turnaround in the stock as well. Yeah, because you look at that top line number, you're like, oof, bad. But then if you look kind of deeper, you know, average selling price went up. The D to C percentage of revenue was a lot larger. And then the subscribers are huge as well. But we'll finish up the first half with Ian. I want to talk about balance sheet. Yeah, real quickly before I dive into the balance sheet, I just want to make one clarification. Um, the Nicholas Woodman owns about uh, 69% of the total voting power for the stock as well, which partially explains why he's probably still stuck around. But he owns about 19% of the shares outstanding, 69% uh, of the voting power. So um, he's likely, unless he decides to voluntarily leave, he's likely going to be there for as long as he that's, wants to, basically. I'm sure, I'm sure the boards maybe offered the idea. Yeah, of the, uh, that's crazy. He, I mean, props to him for staying around and having the ability to stay around. Yeah, the B shares can really give you that advantage, but having that conviction to stay with your company while the stock price basically almost went to zero is, I think mean, that's, I, you know, you can't, there's some respect. I think a lot of people would have tapped out. Yeah. They would have said, hey, you know, not for me, I'm, I'm, I can check out and I've got, I've made my money and all in there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. I do think, yeah. If, if your stock has dropped 99% and the CEO is there from the beginning to the end, you could probably safely assume that he controls the voting. Power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a fair bet to make for sure. Um, diving into the balance sheet though, they've got cash of $326 million debt of 280 million. And those, there's a little bit, there's some leases in there, but most of that's convertibles, which uh, have about a $10 strike price on both sets of convertibles, approximately. Um, looks to be, from the math I was doing, it looks to be around, assuming those convert um, sometime in the future, it looks to be around 10 to 15% dilution. They have some capped calls, which basically this, the simple thing is those offset some of the effects of the dilution. Um, but, uh, you know, it's so not crazy dilution. It looks like probably a reasonable, um, yeah. reasonable agreements on convertibles. It's not least, some of the crazy better, ones we've been looking at. Yeah. But I was going to say better than Farfetch for sure. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, net cash. So that leaves them a net cash position of about $46 million. So pretty, pretty solid balance sheet, not a crazy cash position like we've seen with some other things, but if they can keep up the cash flow positive, um, trend, they should be okay. Uh, the, you, you were talking about some of the working capital needs, um, their days holding inventory spiked in the first half of the year, which makes sense. They weren't selling any GoPros in the first half of the year because no one was going out and doing anything and, um, and no one was buying anything. And so they didn't, they didn't sell a lot of GoPros in the first half inventory spiked, 
um, but then really came down in the second half of the year and they really hit some good numbers in terms of the days uh, inventory outstanding. So, or days of holding inventory. And so um, I think like Ryan was mentioning going forward, they're really going to try to uh, keep that inventory number a little leaner just to, especially as they transition to more D to C and um, the uh, um, software business. So uh, the last thing I'll mention is they've got about $150 million in goodwill, which is a, you know, a pretty good chunk of goodwill on the balance sheet, but it's been on the balance sheet for like five or six years um, and hasn't been written down. So I would say it's probably unlikely that that's written down. It seems like that's a pretty uh, just steady fixture on the balance sheet. Um, but overall, it looks like a, a reasonable balance sheet, nothing that's too alarming. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to end the first half. And we'll get back to the second half, kind of going to the analysis, what we liked and what we didn't like. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Next up will be competitive advantages. I'm going to say this one, when you go into it, if it's easy to find them, that can be a positive thing. With GoPro, I think it was a bit difficult, and that can be an indicator on the quality of the company, but I'll let Ian kick things off first. Yeah, to piggyback on that comment, um, I think all of our <laughs> competitive advantages are very interrelated as well. So I'll keep my my one brief, but I think their history and expertise in the industry provides them a little bit of a competitive advantage, just knowing how to do these product rollouts. Um, I was talking about the viral marketing earlier, and I think their knowledge of who to interact with, how to kind of create some of those campaigns, those types of things. Um, just being in this, being the innovator in this space, I mean, the first one there, they've got a lot of tacit knowledge that's kind of, they've developed over time um, that I think gives them a little bit of an advantage. All right, Ryan. Yeah, I'm going to go niche um, as in that is their competitive advantage. And like you said, I mean, cameras are very, it's a very fragmented market, especially with people using their phones as much as they do now. But if you're looking for sort of an action type camera and you don't want to pay too much, I think everyone- And you don't want it to break and you want it to work in like rugged yeah. environments. I think I, I think GoPro has the brand recognition that people instantly go to it. And so there is something there where they're well known enough uh, to have, to not have to spend as much on marketing. Yeah, yeah. Or sales. Yeah, I mean, it's like, is small. And I guess that's mine too. It's, it's brand. They put a decade into it with their niche market. You know, you, you're going to buy it. You're going to buy from them. You're not going to buy from Sony, Nikon or whatever. If you're going for the outdoors camera type deal. I mean, I know when I was doing my hype, a lot of people use GoPros. People are using GoPros. They're not using anything else. They've been doing that for a decade though. And they haven't made any money. So it's like, you know, really who cares it's all about the software here which we'll talk about next but you know they put a decade into this social social channels have a lot of followers um don't take that take it with a grain of salt they got 10 million youtube subs whatever uh but you know peak viewership was like five to seven years ago i was looking all the videos they have on there that have a lot of views are like five to seven years old any current ones 
they don't really get any views. So they do have. There is a bit of a cult like following uh, for the people that are like hardcore GoPro addicts. Almost, it it feels a little bit like Peloton in that way of people that uh, don't say that. Don't make that comparison. You'll get some people angry, Ryan. Yeah, I guess, but uh, it uh, people buy the shirts, which blows yeah. my mind. But you know, the people that like the Peloton apparel—they're sort of the big uh, advocates for the product. I think that it's sort of the same tendency with GoPro users. Yeah, and one thing GoPro was trying to do that totally failed was. Uh, I think it was 2014, maybe 2015, as they were trying to start a media division and they had, and this might've been failure from the start, the old Skype CEO running it. <laughs> that, I don't know, it failed. They, they shut it down in 2016. Um, I, don't, I don't know. They've had a lot of failures. They were trying to enter the drone market. They were trying to enter the VR market. Um, hopefully they've righted the ship, but I don't know. All right. Uh, future growth opportunities, Ian, you want to go first? Well, speaking of making comparisons that may not be apt, um, I think GoPro needs to do what Apple has been so successful in doing. And this isn't to say that GoPro is going to be Apple by any means, but Apple has built such a network of devices between uh, phones and computers and Apple TVs and all this type of stuff that then they can start selling services to throughout all of them and subscriptions and those types of things. And I think GoPro has a similar opportunity here um, to continue to push different types of subscriptions and be creative with the different types of add-on features they can do that go out to this existing network of devices that they have because the device business really hasn't been working for them. Um, whether it's been, you know, the new iterations of the cameras, yeah, they'll sell some cameras and that's good, but really what's going to drive, um, you know, profitability for them and cash flow is going to be this high margin subscription businesses. So, um, I, I really see that as, the future growth opportunity. And I'm not convinced that what they have now is going to be enough for it to be a great stock over time. And I think they need to continue. Like you were talking about all the, all the test things that they've done with drones or VR and all this type of stuff. Like I, I would like them to focus more and more on the software side of it and see what they can develop. Um, that's more app based or subscription, subscription based over the next couple of years. Yeah. And even it's just like, if you're the CEO, like where would you go to grow? That's yeah, like tough. wearables. Maybe I, I mean, no, Garmin's no. been mildly successful. With Apple's it. gonna crush you with that. No yeah, way. Yeah, but that's my thing. Is like, you know, how do you expand from here? Um, video, I guess I mean, video editing seems like the best move. Yeah, it seems like it's on the software side. Uh, they, my future growth opportunity is direct to consumer and making that sort of the primary part of the business. Almost going at it like Yeti. Uh, Yeti's been very successful with their DTC. I mean, so has GoPro.com. Uh, last year, DTC made up 12% of revenue. This year, it made up 32%. Uh, I, I think COVID was probably a good catalyst for that as well, since less people were shopping in person. Um, yeah. But going DTC helps GoPro reduce inventory. And it also helps when they have less inventory, they don't have to. So they've got all this production. And once you produce a new one, let's say you have the Hero 5 and you produce the Hero 6, Target is going to sell that old inventory at a lower gross profit, um, which hurts you. And then you have all that inventory that's just not, I mean, it's just sitting idly. And so becoming leaner starts with going DTC. Um, and they've done that and they're going to keep doing it. And I mean, that's really what they're driving. And they're trying to drive that home with investors. Um, yeah. And honestly, that's probably what's driven the bulk of the rise in the stock price. 
maybe. Maybe. I mean, the subscription pivot as well. But I think it's the 145% growth in the subscription, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, the operating cash flow, I imagine a lot of that came from DTC because it allowed them to go leaner on the balance sheet. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The But one thing is that, yeah, it does help the gross margin for sure. Um, and that's important because at 35% or what was it? I don't yeah. know. They just need to raise that up on the hardware. It's hard. Yeah. It's tough though. It's tough. Ian, I think, did you raise your hand? Do you have anything or no? No. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. What Mine is the quick subscription. So this is different than the GoPro sub that Ryan was describing earlier. Although if you are a GoPro sub, you get this for free. Uh, it's $2 a month or $10 a year. And it offers like nice editing tools. I know that uh, if you have a phone, you get this. And like, if you're on something like Instagram, or YouTube, you kind of have this as well, but they're trying to basically own everything for their customers from like the filming all the way to while well, you're going to post your channel. So obviously they're, they're not going to disrupt YouTube, uh, but if they can do everything from there and then, you know, I don't know, you gotta, you gotta kind of think, all right, how many subscribers are they going to be able to get? Um, can they raise prices with this? Cause they're kind of going in with a low offering to try to get a bunch of people on it. Um, I don't know. I think this is a decent idea. Or what are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that was the first thing when I didn't, I hadn't realized that they had a video editing software. My first thought was they should buy or partner with Adobe or something like that to edit videos because people are uploading it or downloading it to their computer. And then the next step is editing. Uh, obviously, they're I don't think they're ever going to be the distribution platform like no, a, yeah. a YouTube or a TikTok or something like that. But wow. right, they kind of tried that and it failed. Right. Yeah. What, what was that back 2015, 2016 or so? They were trying to do the media part. Yeah. Yeah. Just owning everything up until distribution uh, for that niche. It, that's, that's really their bread and butter and that's their role. And that's hopefully, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of for growth is really owning the software side. Yeah, and the low, uh, the subscription isn't, it's like half software for these editing tools and it's half like a loyalty program. So that's kind of a part of it too, to get people to buy your hardware each year. What are you guys' thoughts on this though, if they should go, and I know it's not apples to apples, but should they have a Roku mindset where you're going to have quality stuff, you're basically going to sell your hardware at cost to get it to as many people as possible and then make all your money on this software stuff. So, I like that if they have good software, but that's my, that's my question right now is I don't know that they've proven that they can generate enough, um, enough income from these, these other services and the the software and the subscriptions and all this type of stuff. Like if they can really make a clear picture that that is, that they, if they can paint a clear picture of the consumer lifetime value and say, Hey, if we can get these people as part of our system they're going to give us all this money over this course of time then yeah go for it i i think that the selling it at cost makes sense but i'm not sure that they're quite there yet and knowing what the what they're really their customer lifetime value really is they are almost doing that for subscribers in that the 50 percent off accessories yeah, and know, the yeah. free uh, whatever returns or whatever that was yeah. um so yeah, I do like that idea. Assuming churn is insanely low for the subscription, if you if they have like fifteen percent or like the retention rates only like in the eighty percent, I would not do that. 
Yeah. Well, then the business is broken anyways. So then we're, then we're all screwed. But the, the, yeah, they, they've said low churn. It kind of reminds me of one of companies like, yeah, we're going to go revenue in the double digits. It's like, oh, all right. Good range there. <laughs> uh, but to give some numbers on what they say on their subscribers, they say for every million subscribers, that translates to 50 million in revenue. Yeah. $50 a year times sure. 1 million. And they say that they get 25% operating or sorry, 50% operating margin, which would be 25 million. So wow. if they get 4 million subs, that's a hundred million in operating profit. The only question is, are there 4 million potential subs out there? And that's, a, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, highlights and lowlights, Ian, what do you have? Yep. So I think the highlights for me start with obviously the software growth year over year has been impressive, but I also really like the D to, D to C uh, transition that we've seen at 32 or 33% of the business now. Um, they've got a valuable brand. But one thing I'll say is, as I was looking at it, it, it kept popping in my head. And I know people have been talking about this for years, but it looks like a prime acquisition candidate, something that has that really valuable brand. The valuation isn't insane, at least in my opinion, um, but they don't really seem to know how to execute. <laughs> um, yeah. At least they haven't over the last you know, six years. So you know, as an Apple shareholder, this would be a drop in the bucket of Apple's cash, you know, balance. I'd love to see like a week Apple swoop in. Right. It's a week of cash flow. Exactly. So I'd love to see Apple just take a flyer on something like this. So I think that's a highlight for me is that it does provide probably a floor for this stock. Um, now, people have been saying that for years and no one's ever actually bought it. So I don't know if that's because yeah. no one's interested or if it's if it's or if the founder doesn't want to sell or who, who knows what it is, but I mean, Apple um, loves the video and camera part. That's kind of their whole pitch or the number one pitch of the iPhone is that you can basically do, or at least nowadays you can do whatever, you know, film quality on your, on your phone. Don't my, my thing is like, yes, it seems like a good acquisition candidate, but then you start to think about who on earth would acquire them. And it's like Adobe, maybe I don't, don't, don't you think if the floor was high, the floor, would have been hit when it dropped 99 percent uh, it's different you would have thought it. different they were doing some really dumb stuff maybe they've turned the quarter with i don't these know if just adding a subscription totally changes the business model maybe there's a, a which makes me which makes me wonder if it's something more related to the founder and it's not that the offers weren't out there but the founder didn't want to sell Ooh, i don't know if that's yeah. the case but i with that yeah. much voting control yeah. you just i think that's a factor probably and yeah i I just said that the subscription doesn't necessarily change the business. I think it does change the business. I don't know if it totally changes whether someone would want to acquire this yeah. business. Agreed. Because if, if Apple's buying, if Apple's looking at buying this, just for instance, like that's the one that makes sense to me, right? It's kind of like the Beats acquisition, but Apple's buying it for the brand. They're buying yeah. it so they can sell GoPro products. And then they don't care about the software business because they're just going to incorporate it into all of their subscriptions and their software business and, you know, increase the value of their consumers. And so they don't care about GoPro's little fledgling <laughs> software business. They just care about the brand, at least I would assume. So um, looking at it from the outside. So um, like I said, I, it's a little bit, of, I thought it was worth bringing up. It's a little bit of a highlight for me, I think. Um, low lights, the years of languishing. And then this new app that you just mentioned, Brett, um, quick, seems a little bit fragile to me and more like a feature like you were mentioning there's like some stuff on uh all of our phones now that we can do editing through our photo apps um they said one of the things they were one of the selling points for it that they were talking about was 
that it's like a more curated version of your photo feed. And so instead of just having like tons and tons of like photos and videos and all this type yeah. of stuff that it would curate it a little bit. But again, it seems more like a feature. I know Apple's trying to do some of that in the photos app. Um, and I'm just not sure how many people, like if you're not getting it through the subscription bundle, I'm not sure if it's enough of a value driver that anybody actually gets it. I don't know. It's no, no, that's, that's, that's a, a good, tough one for me. That's a good point because Apple, Apple, Google and Samsung and whoever, you know, their camera products and their gallery or whatever, that stuff really hasn't been that great. A lot of people complain about this stuff all the time. But if GrowPro fixes that, I mean, it's like, all right, well, these guys can just see what they did and copy it. Um, so, yeah. What did you, uh, I guess my thing would be like, would the bundle be better if you got sort of a discounted rate on a Premiere editing software instead of like, so if they partnered with, I think Adobe does a lot of like, they're sort of the Premiere this would be, one. Yeah, yeah. What if they partner and you got a discounted rate on that? Like, wouldn't that be better than? I, was kind of, I don't use quick. I don't know how good it is, but they just started up. So I think, I don't know. I bet Adobe has more than uh, GoPro's entire employee base working on stuff like this. So, all right. Uh, Ian, you already hit your highlights and lowlights, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's all right. right. Then for me, I think the, the changes in operating efficiency are a good sign. Um, the economics are getting better with the subscription and I, the 4 million, uh, it seems audacious, but it might be possible. You know, they're growing triple digit subscriber base right now. Um, and they obviously yeah. have that easy marketing funnel with, uh, uh the different social medias. And I, I should say, I should say that quick when it was a free app has 9 million users or downloads. So that's another way too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, low lights. I'm not a huge fan of the CEO. I don't think he's a tremendous operator. Uh, no, what makes you say that? <laughs> well, yeah, but go read the conference calls. I encourage everyone to go read the conference calls. It seems like he could kind of care less about shareholders, um, which it's fine. Like some business operators just want to run their business. and They don't want to yeah. be, they're not, they're worried more about the customer than the shareholder, which is okay, but, but we're shareholders. Yeah. So yeah. that's what we care about. Um, the COO is okay. Uh, and it seems like he's sort of carrying the weight operationally as he should, but he's CFO too, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, it seems like he's running the business. It seems like they're kind of just saying like the CEO is the visionary, but it seems like more he's given himself the title because he has six to nine percent voting power. Uh, they did. So. They did make this mean to say explicitly in the 10K that the CEO is still head of design. Don't know why they needed to tell us that, but maybe he really just cares about making the good cameras. Ah. Yeah, that's that's my primary low light. And I don't know where revenue growth will come from. Yeah, that's the big, that uh, you hate to make addressable market a low light, but I I mean, it, hurt, it, it really hurt them. It hasn't gone anywhere for seven years. Yeah. And I wonder, did they make a mistake not trying to be like Peloton and sell their cameras at a premium? Do you guys? Mm. I, I think for I what they've know. done since then, yes. Like if, if they knew they weren't going to be able to, that all of these ancillary services that they were doing for the last six years, wasn't ever going to take off, then they should have been selling them at a premium and really try to capture that premium market and get better margins. But, the, um, but the, but the problem is like, you would have thought that they could have captured more subscription based services and all these add-ons and the accessories and all like, that's where they were supposed to make their money, but they haven't really. 
don't yeah. know, Ryan, what were you going to say? Also, like, there's a, like, Peloton, you could say, is best in class quality. GoPro is good, but they are not production level cameras, which if you're going to buy, if you're going to really, really pay up for a camera, why not buy like a production level camera? Oh, because they're 10,000 bucks. Yeah. I, I well, just, and, and in the action camera thing, like to be fair, you know, GoPro is priced at a premium to like, you yeah. know, you can find other action cameras um, that aren't as high quality and stuff like that. So and they're, they're priced at a premium basic. within that niche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's not like some crazy premium either, at least in my, when I've looked at them before, it doesn't seem like GoPros are way more expensive than like the, the more kind of generic version of the cameras. Yeah, and the uh, the thing is with something like, okay, go Pelotons in a way, I really don't get it, but it's like a fashion thing, right? Or like, you know, it's what kind of a, like where people are, they have them, it's kind of a, it's a brag almost. That's kind of, well, people oh, may not say thing. luxury, I used the wrong word. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, that's part of it. GoPro, the way they are, it's attached to your body. They look ugly. I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, kinda, it's, not, it's part of the deal. It's like a downside. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think a GoPro is a flex, the way a Peloton is. <laughs> All right. The uh, I'll get. Oh, I guess we're kind of getting more or less interested. But I'll hit any highlights on that I had that we missed. Um, I think the software stuff is a good move. It's the move they have to make. Um, maybe if they can get to outside of just people who are already camera owners that could expand the number of subscribers they have. But I mean, their category has just been stagnant over the last decade. That's a huge liability in my book. Hardware is just so tough and you're going to have stock option and convertible headwinds. Now it'll make the enterprise value change on the convertibles, but there's, I don't know, 15 million in stock options outstanding. That's going to be a headwind too. Um, yeah, there's some low lights. I don't know. I guess we'll wrap things up more or less interested. Ian? For me, this was a company that I thought I, I had never really looked at before, but I think after looking at it, I'm actually going to be a little bit more interested. I think there's a case here where, um, it's all for me, the thing all hinges on how, what's the churn rate on this subscription. If the churn rate is low, um, then this is probably something I'm going to look into more. But if that churn rate is high, um, something a business that I'm not that interested in, and we just don't have a great grasp on that. I think it's just too early to tell on some of it about what the the pattern of these consumers is going to look like. So, um, uh, slightly more interested. I think there's yeah, some you, there's some opportunity for an investment here. Yeah, and you did bring up a good point where we may have been talking about this before we started recording. The subscriber numbers when they do that bundle thing, it's unclear with whether that just with it. Yeah, they, they bundle a camera and give you subscribers. It's unclear whether that's a bit artificial in that growth, and that's that's a big concern for me too. Yeah, Ryan, what do you think? It might be too young, or the subscription part might be too young to see how low churn truly is. Yeah. Um, but I'm less interested this could be you could still generate good returns i think at a two billion dollar value or 1.9 billion dollar valuation if they can get to sort of 200 million in operating cash flow uh, that can still generate good returns but i don't see uh i don't see this being a huge compounder i don't know where growth comes from 
other than changing sort of the economics of the business. I see unlocking a little bit of profitability there, but I don't see them expanding the top line a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think anyone can disagree with you there, Ryan. I'm kind of on the fence. Look, if they start generating a hundred million dollars in recurring revenue, that's high margin that puts, and the churn is low. Like Ian was saying that big concern there, that puts a floor on the stock, but what's the upside? Um, they say, you know, well, there's a lot of businesses that have been in smaller markets that have really just reduced their share count by like 80% over a decade. And that's where a lot of the returns come from. I looking at the balance or looking at their kind of the share count stuff that concerns me a bit too. And yeah. it's just the, I don't know if there was a clear path to 5 million subscribers, that's great. But I just really worry about that. Yeah. And I wanted, I, I actually wanted to like, I picked this stock for last week. So I wanted right. to like it. And I, it was recommended by, I think it's like Akram's Razor. Yeah. On, smart guy on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Smart guy on Twitter. Someone we respect. And so I, I wanted to like it, but I just came away uh, not being convinced of the growth. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ian, anything else? And if not, you're picking for next week. So what do we got? Yep. For next week, we'll get a little bit bigger. We're going to go with uh, social media, social commerce, uh, Pinterest. So taking a look at the uh, one of those battleground social media stocks. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. As always, use our code CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month at 7investing. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening or for the few that watch and we'll see you next week.